It's strange how that every now and then we, we get a, um, a stronger sense that we are just passing through this life. Um, that's what the Bible says. We are pilgrims passing through. We know that. It, there are certain times when we get that uh, stronger awareness. We've had uh, in, in our fellowship in Hope. In fact, may I bring you the greetings from Hope Church, Ferndown. That's our home fellowship. We um, had um, uh, a young woman um, in the past year go home to glory uh, in her 40s. And uh, she was one of those people you just would rather hang on a bit longer, you know. Mm. Uh, it sounds a bit unkind to say there were, there were people that you want to, uh, don't want to die, you know. But, uh, but she gone to glory, born in her 40s, um, was uh, at the heart, did all our admin work, and, uh, and she had the, um, the nerve to leave us and go to heaven. Well, that was, uh, uh, we're still trying to fill the gap now. It's amazing how there are certain people in the church you don't really appreciate till they're gone. And, uh, well, you used to do that. Oh, that was Hayes Long. You know, anyway. And then this, um, two weeks ago, another lady in the church, we were getting ready for the service. There's a, a, a loud a bang. And uh, and this dear saint of ours, she went from the kitchen to glory. And, um, well, that was it. Another one gone. But that's what's happening, isn't it? One by one, we're leaving this world. And do you ever look around and think, I wonder who'll be next? You're sure you've got that poker face on, but uh, there's no way to do that. But, uh, but one of you will be next. <laughs> because we're leaving this life. And we're going to glory. Now, maybe that's something as Christians we take for granted. We are going to heaven, aren't we, saints? We are going to heaven. We're going to leave this dump and we're going to heaven. Well, praise the Lord. Now, I know there's that strange kind of tension, isn't there? We, the stuff we need to do down here, we are needed down here, and yet, um, to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Do you have that assurance? Can I ask you? You know you're going to heaven. Some of you don't look sure, to be honest. You know, so important that we really know. I mean, what days these are we're living in. What days? How worse can it get? Now, for Bible people, we're, we're saddened, but we're not surprised. As I said in my prayer, you know, we, we, in our day, we're seeing scriptures being fulfilled, outworked. You know, we, we're beginning to see the signs of the times, they've always been there, we know. But the frequency, the intensity of the events coming upon us, um, scripture being fulfilled even in our days. Now, in the UK, we, we might be um, far removed, well, not that far removed, but certainly some miles away from those scenes of devastation, but... In the UK, we're seeing devastation of a, a different kind, aren't we? I mean, just in one area alone, the, the devastation of the family unit. The sheer devastation. We were visiting um, Gwen's brother and uh, his wife in the week, and they're not Christians. 
But they were saying, what has happened? In, in their granddaughter's um, class, there isn't one child with a mother and father. Just a sheer devastation of the family unit. And we're all affected by it. And that affects every one of us in some way. Um, because it's broken relationships. At the very heart of all these things, whether it's um, war in the Middle East, or, or whether it's uh, what's going on in our homes, in our families, it always comes back to broken relationships. The devastation of marriage, um, for those who, who get um, married these days, uh, we're nearing 50% um, of, of those uh, marriages ending in divorce. And, and when you look at relationships, I'm looking at a, a, st a statistic um, just recently, recent survey revealed that the average relationship in the world, it lasts just two years and nine months. And so we can see the, the, the serial relationships and a, a man going here, there, and next family, please, and well, it's just devastating. When you add to that the confusion, confusion over gender and sexuality, you know, throwing out of God's laws and God's ways, we will be tempted to throw up our arms in despair and say, what hope is there? Well, in John 4, what we find here is a soul um, falling from one mess to another because that's what happens, isn't it, when, when, when sin reigns. And yet we see, uh, and, and we know the story so well, many of us, and yet her life and situation completely transformed. This is why we can't leave out grace, and we dare not leave out grace from our situation. And uh, it's, it's a lovely account, and uh, I'll be saying nothing new, but there are certain things we just need to be reminded of time and time again. Firstly, that God is interested in the ones we are so numbers conscious, aren't we? Uh, and it can happen in the church, you know, we, we, we are, we're numbers conscious and we think of statistics in terms of, you know, I don't know if you've been to those conferences or different meetings and normally one of the first um, questions asked, how large is your church? How many people do you get? You know, and it does affect us, doesn't it? We are affected by numbers. Uh, and yet these are slow days, certainly conversion-wise in any area in the UK. But what we find out here, when we look at the life and the, and the ministry of Jesus, is that he was interested in the ones. You know, it's Samaria, he's going through Samaria, it's the sixth hour, it's noon. Uh, and here's the Lord Jesus, he was hot and, and weary. And, uh, and we see this great fusion, don't we? This is the God-man. And, uh, and he was weary and tired like any man would be. He wasn't half God, half man. He was fully God and yet fully man. He was, he was <laughs> in that one body. Um, at times he was still farting. He would almost, um, with great majesty, stride through these Gospels. I'm healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. And yet other times, uh, weary, hot, just uh, wanting to, to rest. And, um, and here's this Samaritan woman. 
And, um, you know, the, and it comes out here, there was this animosity between Jews and Samaritans. Um, the Samaritans, of course, they were a mixed race. Um, we, we were treated right the way back to um, the Assyrian captivity. And there was this kind of a, a, a mix of, of Jew and non-Jew. And um, faith was corrupted. And so the Jews looked down on the Samaritans and despised them. And so here is a, a woman, a Samaritan woman, and, uh, and, and a morally corrupt uh, woman. Um, but she was one written-off person. That's what we see in her. She was a written-off person in a written-off nation. The kind of no-hoper that we often see. And we are tempted to make judgments, aren't we? We look at certain people, and we look at certain situations, and we write them off. If we're honest, we might not say it, because we believe in grace, don't we, Christians? But we write people off, we look at them, and uh, often, if we're honest, look down on them, um, put people in pigeonholes. And anyway, there you go, it's self-righteousness. I don't know if you find that. The, the, the longer you've been a Christian, the more prone we are to self-righteousness, as if, uh, I'm not surprised God loved me. You know, he saw something good in me, didn't he? No. <laughs> God, if you're a Christian, God loved you despite what you are. You know, this omniscient God, he looks at us and he sees our lives, and yet it's grace always that, that triumphs. So here is this woman, and, uh, and we, we can see her sad background, this string of failed relationships, um, I, I don't know, maybe it's reading too much into it, but you know, maybe um, disappointment uh, was written all over her face. Just total disillusionment with men, with relationships, just one after the other. And sin is a cruel master, isn't it? And, uh, and, and often... Um, you can see on a person's face, someone, they, they just, it's evident in their whole demeanor that they come from a life of sin. <laughs> um, and she was notorious. This woman was notorious. Everyone knew about her. And, but as I say, there were certain people, not all always, but you just look at their lifestyles and you, you just think they were a million miles away from, from, from God. And certain categories of people, maybe, if we're honest. Um, we were doing open air in Southampton. And this happened a couple of months ago now. And I wasn't preaching. I was in the little crowd. And uh, one of our guys was preaching. And this, this little woman came up. She was a wiry little woman. Yet she had the loudest voice I'd ever heard. And she started to let rip because she was a lesbian. And so she's thinking, Christian, they hate lesbians. So she let rip at my colleague who was, was trying to preach. And of course, I found that when she had the loud voice, I found out afterwards she was a sergeant major in the, in the army. And uh, anyway, there we go. Or was it the Air Force? But anyway, she had a loud voice. And she was used to shouting at people, put it that way. I never heard such a loud voice in my life. Anyway, there we go. My friend was trying to preach. Hopeless. He got it quite a good voice, but. She was ranting and raving. I thought, well, I better try and do something. So I tried to sort of draw her aside, and in the end, I succeeded. 
and uh, and we sat down on this bench. If you know Southampton, above bars, a nice wide um, pedestrian precinct with lots of seats. And uh, anyway, we sat down and I was able to engage in conversation. But she was still, I was sat down, but she was still shouting at me as if I was a couple of yards on there. My head was standing on end and shaking this woman's voice. And eventually she calmed down and, uh, and asked her about her background. And uh, anyway, it was such a sorry, sorry story, really. And, uh, and then she began to, to weep. And uh, it, it turned out that she was um, adopted as, as a child. And she went from home to home, foster home, brought up. But what was significant is that one of the homes, one of the, the mothers, was a Christian. And she just remembered the kindness of this uh, foster mum that, that she had. And, uh, well, uh, I'd like to say that woman was converted, but certainly there was a mellowing there with, with her. But I guess what I'm saying is, we look at people and we've got no idea what their background is. We've got no idea what they've been battling with, they are struggling with. And normally there's a reason why people are as they, as they are. Well, I don't know. Here is this woman now. And maybe it was etched on her face, the struggle that she'd had for years, just falling from one mess to another. And, um, but always to change. I do suppose that on this particular day, she would have um, had any idea when she got up how her life would have been changed. Um, I mean, we can see that the way that she would have gone at, at noon, she's trying to avoid people. Who would draw water? Who would go on the hottest part of the day to draw water apart from someone trying to avoid others? But here is this man that she meets, and he's not just any stranger. On this well, sitting down weary, is the Messiah. No coincidence, this was a meeting, this was a divine appointment. We often pray for those in our open air work. We say, Lord, give us a divine appointment so that there is a person whose heart is prepared and there is a person who's got the gospel message and they're being brought together. And this is what we're happening is happening here, a divine appointment. And uh, for me, I think in the, in the Christian life, it's one of the most glorious things I know. When you just have that awareness, you're in the right place, at the right time, saying the right things to the right person in the right way. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's God overruling, in a sense. It's, there's that awareness, you're like a chess piece being moved around. This is God bringing you into a certain situation. Um, I think one of the first times I, I knew this, um, when I was at, in Wales, in, in Bible College, at Barry years ago, they used to send out the students into the valleys, scatter these students, different churches in the Welsh valleys. And um, I was at a church in Porth, and it was such a struggle. It was an evening service, and I think most of these kinds of churches that have grown, certainly Colin would know them, they were, it was simply packed with chapel goers. There were people who would just go to chapel on a Sunday night because it was the thing to do. 
um, probably the, the remnants of the Welsh revival, where people would go to the chapel, and you would you would hear in, in the prayer you would hear the sweet coming out and the rustling of papers. It's part of the Sunday thing, you know. Oh, got to go to chapel now, and the, but no, but they'd heard the gospel, you know, for years, uh, and they could tell it to you. But then, then you, on the way out, you'd all nice, nice message, minister. Thank you very much. See you next. You know, we preach on the glories of heaven and the the horrors of hell. Thank you very much. So anyway, it was so depressing because you could well anyway you you don't want to judge people. You think. What a waste of time this is. I'm coming in here, there's no interest. I, I would, so I drove home, so I went back from Porth in the, in the Rhonda Valley, driving back to Barry, and uh, I was so depressed. Thought, is this what it's about? Just preaching the gospel to people who don't want to hear, preaching the word of God. Anyway, but, so I'm deep in my thoughts, and as I'm driving down the valley, I looked over, I thought it was a mirage. There was this long queue about a 50-meter queue of young people. <laughs> anyway, as I drove past, it was a nightclub up on the, on the side. Called anyway, <laughs> I drove past. But I felt God stirring me. I felt the Holy Spirit say, go back and preach to them. Oh, no way. <laughs> Carried on driving down the valley. and uh, but, but the Spirit wouldn't let me go until I stopped the car, turned around, drove back. And, uh, and as I got nearer the car, I parked the car, I got nearer this great long queue, I'm thinking, no. So I had my uniform, I had my black suit and my black tie and my black Bible. As I got nearer, I could hear all the voices, oh, here comes the undertaker, here comes, no, here comes the, the rent man now. Not the rent book, you see. So I'm thinking, oh, no, Lord, please. But as I preached, I knew something. Freedom and liberty, the thing I didn't have back in the church, I now had now. I just felt God was striving with people here. Well, in my pocket, a little bunch of tracts, so I went down the queue and gave everyone a tract. And, uh, well, who knows what was going on that day, but I just felt God was striving with people. And uh, But it's this whole thing about this is Jesus Christ. This is, this is the Savior who loves people. And to go out of his way for one person. And here she is. And what we see is just his wise and tender dealings. And, and he starts by speaking about water, physical water. Well, they're at a well. <laughs> a master class in evangelism, really. And he's speaking about physical water. And in, in verse 8, he asks her for a drink. He humbly puts himself in, in her debt. There's something very disarming about that. Um, some people find it hard to receive. Sometimes it's easier to give. And, and yet what happens is there can be something very disarming. So he's put, he, he, he putting himself down and asking her. We find it hard at times, if we're honest, as Christians. Oh, I don't want to ask. There's kind of false humility there. But he puts himself on the debt and asks her for a drink. And of course, he's good to speak about an, another water altogether. But he's, he's using this wonderful illustration. Um, and well, the water says, Sir, you've got nothing to draw with. She, she's trying to grapple with this whole fact of, well, you know, this is a deep well. 
Well, and, and then this living water you're talking about, and so there, there's a kind of, uh, no doubt, uh, a confusion in their mind, but he's speaking about the life of God within a person. Verse 13, is, is it, the Lord says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. That water will become a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting I wonder at this time, is there something inside of her stirring? It, it's like that, isn't it? Before you're a Christian, you haven't got a f the foggiest of, of spiritual things. No, you, you're dead to, to the things of God. I don't know if this is you this morning, that, you know, uh, it all seems a mystery. You're, you're on the outside, and you come in here, and, they, and, they, and prayers are said and things are said, but, but really you're still, you're still a stranger to these things because there's no life-giving power inside of you. Most of you know my story that, that um, before I was a Christian, uh, an alcoholic and dead to the things of God and um, a young man witnessing to me at work for some time, but I didn't have a clue what he was saying, he was speaking good, biblical truths, but I didn't have a clue. And uh, and yet there came a particular day when God was stirring in my heart, and I still didn't understand. He was putting the gospel, looking back, he was explaining the gospel simply and clearly, but, uh, but it was all like a foreign language to me. But there was a stirring within. There was a desire beginning that was given by the Spirit. And I think that's what's happening here. He's speaking about living water, but still she's grappling with this. He's, she still doesn't understand. But there is a, a longing. Um, because, again, bear in mind, she's been let down. <laughs> she's been given promises before. But there was a man coming along with some other promise, and there was always a hope in her heart that this will be the one that will really love me. I mean, let's face it, folks. <laughs> Isn't this the one great common denominator we all have? We just want to be loved. Is that right? Whether it's a parent's love, whether it's a partner's love, a, a child loving a parent, but, but we just want someone who will actually love us, be kind to us, be true to us. And she went from one to another. And every one was a disappointment. And I don't want to be cynical, but no human being can give you the love that God has. There's no one, there's no one can do it. Every relationship will be a disappointment from that point of view. No wife can love her husband, no husband can love her wife, and you know, we just can't provide what the Lord alone can provide. So he's speaking about something and maybe for the first time there's just a glimmer of hope. Here is this strange man and yet he's speaking of things and there's a stirring in her heart. So there's a there's a thirsty soul here but she's confused by false religion. She's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. And, and, and verse 20, she's caught up 
in the where to worship? Is it to do with the city? Is it to do with Jerusalem? Is it rather than the, the how? He's going to speak about worship is in spirit and truth. God is looking for something from the heart, a heart devotion. It's not where you meet. It's not the clothes you wear. It's not the Bible you read. All of these things might have their place. You know, folks, we can get caught up over all kinds of secondary things, can't we, in the church? You know, I, I, I don't know. I keep, I'm on Twitter, and I think, how long am I going to put up? Oh, the, the, the stuff that Christians get caught up with, you know, and, and the unkindness on Twitter. And, and, <laughs> and again, we have to be, bring ourselves back time and time again. What really matters here? And so this woman, to her religion, was just an empty formality. It was about buildings and rules and, and rituals. But Jesus here is speaking about a relationship. And this is what she's longing for. And there's that inner longing, but it surfaces in verse 15. So give me this water. She doesn't really know at this stage what it is. And yet there's a hunger, there's, there's a desire, there's a thirst. And this is what I find in, in our days. And again, just speaking just in terms of open air work, um, there's, a, there's an increasing desire. It's strange. We see our nation growing further and further away from God. And yet there is definitely an increase in some young people, predominantly, I guess. Um, the two major groups we find. Those from overseas are coming in. God is bringing people from other nations here. <laughs> so we're, we're seeing, um, again, a couple of weeks ago, Southampton uh, preaching, and a um, uh, Chinese girl, um, uh, been in the country two days. She's hearing the gospel, never heard it before, wide open, takes a, a, a Bible, linked up with the church, um, that same that same day, um, in between the preaching, I'm giving out tracts. And a young man come, comes by. I give him a tract. I don't normally speak, but I gave him this tract. As he walked by, I thought, I'd just say a word. So I said to him, um, do you believe in God then? And he stopped. And he turned around. He said, yeah. Oh. He stopped. <laughs> so then I said, um, do you think it's possible to know God? Yeah. Then I was thinking, well, I said, well, well, what are you doing to get to know God then? He said, well, I've just bought a Bible. I said, really? Wow, it's been a great conversation with him, linked him up with the church. So there is a hunger, there is a growing desire, a thirst in the context here. Um, so people, we would be tempted to write off. So um, I guess our job is to try and detect where is there a hunger, where there is a thirst. But uh, very often we're surprised at those who are showing the interest. But what we see here, because first, um, there's some spiritual surgery required. Uh, that all necessary conviction of sin. And here's the Lord Jesus here. And he says, go and call your husband. Well, after showing that interest, her head must Dropped at this. She has to come 
clean. He's, he's here to raw nerve here. That's the very subject she didn't want him to bring up. Her head drops. She's been exposed, as it were. She's got nowhere to run apart from running to Jesus. <laughs> She's cornered, really. And, uh, and so what's happening here is that the Lord is, is, is dealing, it might seem cruelly, but he's bringing something up. He's trying to bring it to the point of where there is genuine repentance. And there has to be repentance, doesn't there? There is no real faith without repentance. A real awareness, I really am sinful. Who wants to come there? <laughs> Who wants to be told that they're sinful? It's hard, isn't it? I don't know, if you're a Christian today, can you remember that first time when you realized you weren't good enough? It's hard, isn't it? And the older we get, the harder it is. I remember with my mum and dad, when I became a Christian, for me to come to my mum and dad, who were in their, I guess, in their uh, late 60s, early 70s, for, for, for them to come to the place where they could see that nothing in their life had been acceptable to God. That's hard, isn't it? You mean, son, I've lived these 60, 70 years, and I've do not done one, everything is sin. you come there you know even our religion our hymn singing our bible reading our praying that nothing is good enough unless we come to Jesus Christ oh Lord will you forgive me the old hymn nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling well maybe I could ask you today what are you relying upon to get you to heaven you know, in the open air, we, 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 if someone's not sure, I sometimes say, oh, do, you th do you think you'll get to heaven when you die? When someone says, well, I hope so, ooh, I think, right, <laughs> what should we do here? If you're, if you're hoping so, that's a bad sign. And so we ask that good old question. Well, here's a question. Do you mind if I ask you a question? Just to try and help you in your own mind to find out where you stand. If you were to die tonight, God forbid, but if you were to die tonight and God were to say to you, listen, why should I allow you into heaven? This is a holy place. No sin can come in here. And, and you've sinned. Why should I allow you in? Or if someone says, well, I've been to church, I'm sorry. Well, I've done my best and I'm sorry. Because all we can say is, I'm trusting that Jesus Christ loved me, died on the cross for me, and has washed away my sin. So how would you answer that question? Then? If you should die tonight, and God were to say to you, why should I allow you into heaven, what would your response be? It can only be that Jesus Christ has died for me. Every blessing flows from Calvary. And so we look back all those years. And humanly speaking, you know, who can really accept that? I mean, my only hope of getting to heaven 
is that a young Jew, 2,000 years ago, died on the cross in my place and then rose again. That's it. By faith and that alone will do. And there's a twofold heavenly flow, really, because the stream of forgiveness flows from Calvary. And then the stream of power flows from the Holy Spirit, the, the Pentecost. So in other words, take a person like me, rotten, drunken, lousy, go ahead and give you the rest, um, hopeless, you know. Um, I not only needed forgiveness, now when I say not only, that's a massive thing. I needed forgiveness, but I needed more than that. I needed a power to come into my life so I wouldn't go back to my old life. In other words, a love for God that I didn't have. And that's what Jesus does. So here is the Lord here. He's speaking to this woman here. And, uh, and it's this transforming life. So he's speaking about the work of the Spirit. This, this um, fountain of water. So in other words, why am I not drunk with a, a home with a hangover today. <laughs> well, it's because the Jesus who saved me over 40 years ago is living within me. I mean, why are you here this morning? You want to be here? Well, sort of. <laughs> well, it's, it's God who keeps us. The God who saves us then keeps us. And our love for him, though it might be cold at times, yet we still love him. I love the Lord because he heard my voice. He had heard my cry for mercy. I used to get, you know, talking about not being able to keep things up. I, you know, I was always having to change things. Gwen, we got fed up with me. I'd have a beard one day, shave it off, moustache, shave it off. And, you know, always wanting something new. Yet when Jesus Christ came into my life, I thought, that's what I'm looking for. This is what I'm longing for. There's a satisfaction, a joy that stays with us all through the years. Those rivers of living water. So, I get up tomorrow morning and uh, the preaching's over. I thought, oh, got through that okay. Or not. <laughs> Monday morning comes. So I get out of bed and I drag myself to the kettle, get my cup of tea, and I sit down get my Bible out. So I know what will help the stream to flow <laughs> is I read God's word and I pray. And then there's a stirring again. And God is giving us means, isn't he? And that's why we're here today, of course. Well, let me just close with this because this woman is changed. She's totally surprised. She never thought when she got up that day that her life would be changed. And yet, and she becomes the most surprising evangelist. <laughs> and um, in verses 28 and 29, um, she leaves a water pot. See, straight away, something's happened to her, and she, she, she then dashes out and says, Come and see a man who told me all the things I ever did. What a strange thing to say. Come and see the man who showed me what a sinner I am. And yet now she's forgiven, and she doesn't care. And yet the whole town is impacted. This is the power of a changed life, isn't it? You know, just share your own story. It doesn't have to be sensational. But we just say what the Lord has done for me.
And so she is saved. Then the village is turned around. And um, I guess what we need to remind ourselves today is that this is the power of God, isn't it? No matter how weak and sinful we feel, in Jesus Christ there is fresh cleansing, fresh forgiveness, fresh power from on high. So what's your greatest need today? What's your greatest need today? Is it an awareness of God in our lives? Or maybe I can put it the other way around. Are you happy with the way you are today? Are you happy? If so, can't do anything for you. <laughs> it's for those who are coming. Do you have any thirst? Do you have any thirst today? Do you do you want to change? Do you want to say, Lord, would you would you come to me? I, I this is what revival is, folks, isn't it? <laughs> it's not something you know in the past. It's people coming saying, Lord, I'm not happy with the way I am. I want you to come to me, to change me, to create in me a thirst that you might come with this living water and change me. Well, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't deserve to be blessed, do we? Nope. But he longs to bless us. The same Jesus so, are there, any, are there any hopeless people you can think of today who need Jesus? Any hopeless people? Jesus loves hopeless people. Any hopeless situations, there's nothing too hard for God. So this little account here, this Samaritan woman, it reminds us that Jesus Christ, Jesus is seeking the wanderers yet. Why do they roam? Love only waits to meet him, to forgive and forget come weary wanderers home. Well, the question as I close is, will you come? Will you come today with your thirst, with your little empty cup, say, Lord, will you come to me today? As you came to that woman years ago. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the same today. You're the one that uh, visits individuals and visits churches. Lord, you're in the midst today. Have we, could we see, have the eyes to see? You're in the midst of the, the candlesticks, that lovely picture in Revelation. Lord, come to us, we pray. See our need today. Forgive us, Lord, for our unbelief. And Lord, we are fearful very often. But we pray, Lord, that we might have a new desire for you. A new thirst, a new craving for that living water that you might flow, you might bubble up within us and overflow through us, we pray, into this desert, this howling wilderness of a world that we might irrigate it with, with the grace of God because we ask these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's sing our last, um, last hymn. 5-7-1. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, 
born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Now, can you sing this? This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Five, seven, one. Blessed assurance. 